My inner glass is over there. <clears throat> I guess I better do it soon. John chapter 1. Two weeks ago, I said some pretty big things, and I, I still go by all of those. This was, these statements are huge that John makes. Bizarre if not true. John chapter 1. One of the things I said toward the end was that the first 18 verses uh, are, are Hebraic poetry written in Greek, but it, fl- it still flows as if it was in Hebrew. And uh, some of these, these sentences in several languages translate identically the, uh, the same, the exact same wording, which is phenomenal. And so as the Apostle John, Yeshua's best and closest friend, introduces who Yeshua is. He starts off with the first half of chapter 1. That's where he ends, by the way, because he'll spend the rest of the book proving these statements are true, as if he's in a court case. John introduces Yeshua with the most profound statements ever made about anybody ever. Okay? Let's take a look. Now, these first 18 verses were a part of the liturgy of the early Messianic congregations. They sang these. It was part of the, the liturgy, the, the, the music. And it was, it's a declaration of his messiahship and his deity. So it's like they would start the service with that, like John starts the book. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things. By the way, does anybody have any problems with some of this stuff at all? Or have you ever? These are, these are huge statements to, be, to make about somebody. All things were made through him. Without him, nothing was made that was made. Wait till I tell you what that says in the Hebraic form. It's, it's only one interpretation. Only one. In him... In him is life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness cannot comprehend it. It means I can't put it out. Now, there was a man sent from God, whose name was John. This is John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light. By the way, that's our calling right there. Acts 1.8, the restatement of the Great Commission, you, you will be witnesses of me. That's, it's the same. John started it. We're to complete it. Same calling, same text. We witness of him. To bear witness of the light that, through, that, that all through him might believe. That's a big goal. The winning of the world. Let's talk about John the Baptist. He was not that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. Now, uh, in, give me ten seconds. In reading most commentaries, they start off when, by introducing John the Baptist. What's interesting is that John the, there's no baptizing going on in, the, in this chapter. That's Matthew, Mark, and Luke. But they refer to him, assuming you've read Matthew, Mark, and Luke. This was written sometime later. But um, um, John the Baptist... In these first verses, 
uh, what it's saying. He, he is not the light. But he came to bear witness of that light. Okay, in most of the commentaries, you will find these words. John the Baptist was the first public witness of Yeshua. The first public witness of Yeshua. Well, how do they get that? Well, okay, what happens is that after his immersion, and at that immersion, John said, Behold the, the Lamb of God. That's him. They'll say it more than once, by the way. Then we have the, the temptation. And then we have Yeshua beginning his public ministry. And there's lots of evidence to say it was in, in, at the fall holidays. And John is proclaiming who he is, who Yeshua is. But, the, but that's not, somebody said no. That's not a correct statement. Who was the first public witness of Yeshua? Okay. The first, this is one of my favorite Bible stories. The shepherds of Bethlehem. They were the first to be told. They were the first to see. They were the first to tell. They took off. They didn't care about the sheep anymore. They left the sheep. And they went around telling everybody, Messiah has come. We, we saw an angel. A lot of them. And they said, the promised Messiah has come. We even know his name. His name is Yeshua. Anyway, they were the first. But, okay, what this is then, John was the first witness as he began his public ministry. As he began his public ministry as an adult. So John comes on the stage with this announcement. He, he, he gets things excited in Jerusalem. Next week, we're, we're taking a part of this where we have to go through, go through a little bit of interesting detail on the procedures of the Sanhedrin concerning John and Yeshua. They knew all about him. And I'll tell you, we'll show you how they know. We have the documentation of what they would do. And that'll be, that'll be next week. I'm going to give you two or three things this week to prime you for next week. But I won't, I won't tell the answer. But, but that's in a minute. So back to, to John. We left off in verse 8. So verse 9. That was the true light. Yeshua is the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. Here's the, here's the he's and the yes and the buts. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But, some did, as many as did receive him, to them he gave the right. You have rights, by the way, that he gives. He gave the right to become children of God. That's a Hebraic idiom. Okay, it's a rabbinical term. Hang on, we'll get there. He gave the right to become children of God to, to those, not everybody, to those who believe in his name, who were born, not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. In John chapter 3, the detail is, you must be born again. Mr. Nicodemus, member of the Sanhedrin, Mr. Pharisee. You've done well. Great education. Great position. But you must be born again. It, it's, we, we talk about it in detail in chapter 3. So we went last time. There's no, no uh, not much repeating today. But uh, two weeks ago we talked about the word. The Greek logos, the, 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 the Hebraic memra, where all that meant. That, that word. The, the, the theology of the time would use the word memra. 
When God expresses himself, it's a memra, that kind of a word. And the word became flesh, verse 14, and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Verse 15, John bore witness of him. So should we. And cried out saying, this is he. That's, our, that's what we're to do. Point to him. This is he. This is he. Of whom I said, he who comes after me is preferred before me. For he was before me. How can that be? Because John is six months older than Yeshua. Come back next week. And the fullness, we mentioned that earlier, we have all received. His fullness, we have all received. And grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Yeshua HaMashiach. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten, whatever that means, right? Son, who is in the bosom, you like that word? Where do you hear what it means? Of the Father, He has declared Him. And where do you see what that means? That's where we're going today. When I was in about the fifth grade, I didn't want to hear the word bosom. Because, you know why. But that's not what it means. It's, fun, it's interesting how we have been hindered by a certain translation of the scriptures. But the people hearing this, both the Greek and the Hebrew, were basically perfect. They didn't get that stuff that we do. And they got it, what John was saying. What's John doing? Okay, this is written just before the year 100. It's to the, to the world. How are these people supposed to know all this stuff? The Torah came to them. What are they talking about? They do. John will mention Moses like 13 times in the first, like three chapters. He doesn't explain it. They knew about Moses, okay? There was an understanding about Torah. He could say all this kind of stuff to where we go at a higher level. Wait a minute, what does that mean? Because quite frankly, in some of these verses, this has been the basis of some anti-Semitic teachings. That is not what he said, though. We're going to clear that up for you in the next couple of weeks. So, um, just go back and look at what these things really mean. Because some of you are dealing with some of these things in your family, in the past, and so on. Uh, the issue, the cults. Okay, the problem, among many, with the cults is that they take their theology and have to make the Bible fit their theology. What we want to do always is we take the scriptures and make sure our theology fits into the scripture. Like that, the, the scripture gives us our theology, not the other way. And in so doing, there's some really hard things, like this one. Really hard things. But we don't change it to fit us. In other words, we don't come up with our own new translation that's different in the Greek. Now, what happens is this. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was... Say it. That's what it says. Okay? Other groups have their own Bibles, and they change it. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was a God. That's a lie. John did not write that. What's inspired are the words and writings of the Apostle John. But to satisfy their theology, they just toss in a word. That is an abuse. That's adding to Scripture. And the book of Revelation does not speak highly of that. Now, Here's some help. I know you're not Greek scholars. But here's what I do. 
I have Greek Bibles at home. When, when I hear that, I say, wait a minute, I get my Greek New Testament and say, will you please show me? Guess what? They can't do that. So I say to them, this is not just one group, by the way. Okay, here's the, here's the deal. I think I'm right. Why don't you go get your Greek scholars, and then we'll reconvene and have a meeting, and we'll go through the Greek. What do you think happens? They don't have Greek scholars. Why don't they have Greek scholars? Well, here's the reason. Because if some of them begin to study Greek and Hebrew and begin to understand it, and they, they look at the translation, they go, I've been taught wrong. And they leave the cult. So good, okay? You want them to get to the real scripture, the real word, what it's saying. And it's hard sometimes. The word was God. Because even in mainline denominations, and even in some places in the Messianic movement, people tend to lean toward compromising. Why would they do that? Well, let's take, let's take Messianic Judaism. Why would someone compromise on this? Because they would take that kind of a statement and say, well, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to say he is God. Here's what I'll, what I'll say is this. I'll say, well, he's higher than the angels. Because you can show that in the book of Hebrews, right? Well, he's higher than the angels, but instead of saying God, I say, well, he's divine. He's divine. Whatever that means. But that's falling short of what that really says and what it means. Why do they do that? Well, years ago, you know, when you go to Israel and have the same guide again and again, they get to know you and understand you, and they understand we have a heart for Israel. We, have a, we, uh, we love the Lord. We love the Jewish people. We're Zionists, and we have a lot of good things going on with us. But one, one year off, after the slide, one of our guys said, let me tell you why we're not listening to you. Okay? Okay? She said, you have made a man God. That's the big issue. We believe Yeshua is God. And so it's to some people, to get a better acceptance among the Jewish audience and amongst Israel, will compromise and say, well, he's a little higher than you. They, they compromise the truth. And voila, it happens. They get, they get a, a better welcome. It's, but it's wrong. It's wrong. See, tr- you, have to, you have to say truth. You mean the Jewish people will actually listen to the truth? Uh Because the Holy Spirit does the work in a heart. The Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and brings it alive into the the heart. It says that in what I just read, but you didn't see it, did you? You know why? Because it used a terrible English word. In in a minute, I'll show you. you, We talked about uh, grace and truth, right? Grace and truth? Tell the truth. Yeshua said, I am the truth. If you tell the truth, by the way, all through John, what happened there is what happens here. It's easy. Some believe, some don't. Some accept, some reject. Still happens. But some accept, and some believe. But they have to hear first. But don't compromise what the Bible says. We believe the Scripture is the authoritative Word of God, even down to the punctuation in the original documents that God, the Holy Spirit, so spoke through John that each and every single word including the punctuation in the original that he wrote, is exactly what God wanted written. That's the definition of inspiration. And that's our, that's our authority. And you say, well, show me the original document. Wouldn't that be fun? We don't have it. Why don't we? Why did God not say, 
Oh, and here, behind this glass case, is the actual book of John that John wrote. What would happen? Where would it be? Pick a place. Rome. Let's, let's try Rome. Why did I pick Rome? Not because of last week. Well, because uh, at the, in the diaspora, that kind of became the headquarters because it's the headquarters of the empire. So let's say Rome. And then John's handwritten book is in a glass case. What's going to happen? What does that place look like? Come on, you guys have been wrong. People are crawling on their knees and they start to worship the book. And God knows that. He says, nope, I'm not giving you the original. So then our critics say, aha, let's play the telephone game. John tells Andrew and Andrew tells Peter and maybe we're going to go around the room pretty soon we get back over here. And what? That's not even close to what they said. And they can show you the telephone game, right? And that makes perfect sense, right? Guess what? So our critics say things to us and maybe about 75 years ago the answer was, I still, I'm not that old, but there's nothing wrong with being that old. But I remember people telling me teachers older than I, we have to take what we believe by faith. But, you know, we, we, it's by, you, you, take it, you take it by faith. I'm going, yeah, but I'd like some evidence too, okay? I mean, I do believe that. My parents taught me this, but evidence would sure be good. And so we would, we meaning people in our uh, theological stance, would basically have to say to the critics, we, we believe it by faith. And through the Middle Ages and all that nonsense, people by faith came to the Lord. It's a miracle they ever came, uh, came to the Lord. But it's just like God to let the critics talk louder and louder and louder and go out on the limb and go further and further out on the limb and then whack them off, right? It's exactly what happened. There's a lot of uh, older theology books that are worth nothing <laughs> anymore because the science of archaeology came into being and now we have hardcore real evidence, tangible Evidence, things in real writing, okay, and stuff with people's names on them and so on. And uh, they, when that first began, the critics said, okay, okay, you, whoever we are, we're going to show you just how wrong you are. Your faith is going to crumble before your very eyes. They said this stuff. And so our leaders go, well, we're taking my faith, you know, we know. <clears throat> and so as archaeology began to come into a, a true science, there, to this day, to this day, there has not been one, not one archaeological find that discredits anything in the Bible, any person, any place, any event. But there's a ton of them that, that, that cooperate the truth of it. The date, the place, the king, what happened, blah, 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 blah. We have all this evidence now. Josh McDowell has to keep rewriting his book. Evidence demands a verdict, part 92, wherever we are now. But the evidence keeps mounting. And mounting and mounting. And I mentioned a couple of uh, weeks ago that in fine, okay, now the science of textual criticism. Like, textual criticism is we want to know what John really wrote. Not the phone game comes around here. That he, what was that? What, no. What did John really write? What did Peter write in 1 Peter? What did Matthew really write? Has it been changed? See, the critics say, it's been changed. They say that, but they didn't have any proof of that either. And so, the science of textual criticism, it's a true science today, scientifically. You can show that your Bible is accurate. Okay, it's accurate. How do they do that? Well, there's thousands and thousands of fragments. 
uh, as in the case of the Dead Sea Scrolls, we have the entire scroll of Isaiah. That's a biggie. Okay, that's a big, big scroll. The entire scroll of Isaiah. And they said, okay, now we're going to show you all the changes, right? Well, let's forget Isaiah. Let's go to the whole Bible, all 66 books. What textual criticism has shown is if you take all of the variant readings, okay, such as, let's say, it might say, uh, uh, Jesus Christ is changed to Christ Jesus. Stuff like that. Big deal, right? You take all of those. There are some problems of how certain phrases crept in. We know where they are, and as I teach, I show them to you. Never use those as proof texts. We'll show you where they are. We know where they all are. But the bottom line is this. Of all the problems that there are, take Bible my size, of all the problems, how many pages would that be? One-fourth of one page out of the whole Bible is the summary of all the problems. The bottom line is what, what we have is what they wrote, is what they said. Now, the faith part comes, do you believe it? You can't say they, we cannot say John didn't write this. And one of the nice things is there's a document, okay, all these fragments come. The whole, the whole book of John isn't there, but fragments. So what do you do? Well, you compare. We have chapter 1. Let's compare chapter 1 to our, to our chapter 1. And we find, guess what? Word for word the same. Identically the same. And so the, the critics say, well, you go back, the older you go, you'll find, you'll find some mistakes. Guess what? Has never happened. Uh, one of the nice things is there's a document called the Rylands Papyri that, that was found about 50 or so years ago. It's, it's part of the book of John that dates back to John's lifetime. That's cool. And it's exactly what we have. Exactly what we have. And there's an entire doctrine called preservation that is taught in Scripture that if God gives us his word, He'll make sure it's kept. You know, we're accountable to do this. How can we be accountable if we're reading something and don't know it's right or not? God, through the Holy Spirit and through scribes, Jewish scribes, bless them. Okay? Letter by letter in a class, okay, like this. One, I say letter, you write the letter. We go letter by letter. At the end of whatever, the, the letters have to add up this way. They have to add up this way. The same number of letters on the page. If it's wrong, guess what you do? You go to the mikvah. And you toss the page and you start over. And every single letter, letter, has to be correct. Bless the scribes. Because they preserve the scriptures for us. And the same kind of care was taken in the New Testament. So the bottom line is that we can say that what we have, if you want to go in deeper, there's lots of good, lots of good books on this. But what we have is what John wrote. But it's, some of it's hard. Okay? Let's look at a couple of the hard things. <clears throat> and then I'll jump ahead and take you to the end of today, and then we'll pick it up next week. And we'll do all of uh, chapter 1 next week. John introduces Yeshua with an outlandish introduction. In a few sentences, here's what he does. He intersects time, eternity, history, revelation, not the book, but God revealing himself. Revelation of who God is. And what he's like. All in a, few, in a few sentences. His plan, his purpose for the, for the creation, for you. His plan and purpose for you, including, hey, where am I getting this, okay? The meaning of life. How can I say such a thing? 
hang on, I'm going to show you. It, said, it answers that question, but it's been muddled in English. Hang on. He declares, John declares the existence of the Yeshua before the existence of time. Right now, we're into philosophy of religion now. Okay, wait a minute. How does that work? Because our, our menial brains, have, everything has a starting point, an ending point. Not God. He went, John goes the, the other way. He, he reverses the time. When everything or anything that ever had a beginning began to be, that's philosophy, isn't it? When everything or anything that ever had a beginning, when it began to be, the word was already there. He never began to be. He never began to be. He always was. These are John's words. And is and will be. That's called eternity. And that's what he's declaring. And if you think that's really easy, I remember as a little kid asking my mother to explain that. And she couldn't. She just said, well, he, he, always, he was always there. That's it. Well, she was right. I mean, how, why can't we come up with a really good explanation? You want to know why? Because we have nothing to compare it to. It only happened once in one way. It's not like, well, we have the, here's these five examples. No, one time. When it says uh, his only begotten son, okay, that means the, his only unique, special, one of a kind. Yeshua is that. You can't compare anything to anyone to him. He's the unique only one of a kind. It only happened one time. Well, how can we believe all this stuff then? Well, because of the rest of the book. Because Yeshua comes on the scene in the book of John, and John organizes it this way. He starts off with these outlandish things. And then says, I'm going to prove it. I have a court case that I'll win. And he proves it by witnesses who saw, who were there, who Yeshua touched, who Yeshua talked to, he talked, they talked to Yeshua. These are eyewitnesses. He has seven. And then he has seven events that Yeshua did. Seven miracles. In other words, he builds a case. Not anybody can say I'm God. I've visited people. None of you. Let me check. Wait. In the, you know where I'm going, don't you, on this one? In the locked wards of mental hospitals. And if any of you saw the movie One Floor of the Cuckoo's Nest, that's how it is. Just like that. And I went on. And you, when you first win, you're really concerned about going out. Because you don't have a key. <clears throat> but I, I walked in. And the person I went to see, by the way, she wasn't crazy. She had attempted suicide. And just, this is the stupid system. For lack of a place to put her, they stuck her in there. And uh, she, she leans over to me. She says, Everybody here is crazy. <laughs> Thank you. I know, I can tell. But I walked in the, in the room, and different things are happening around this big room, about twice the size of this room. But over here is a circle of people, a circle. And, and they've, got a, they've got books. I looked closer, they've got Bibles. It's a Bible study. Like, ah, interesting, huh? I said, what's going on with this? And she said, Jesus is teaching a Bible study today. He said he was Jesus. They, they believed him. Anybody can say you are anything you want. 
But what John pointed out is, let's see you back it up with the miracles. Like raising the dead. Let's try that one. Okay, everything he said, he backed up with an event, with eyewitnesses. That back then you could go to Capernaum and say, excuse me, I heard you were there. What really happened? They would tell you the truth. Because we have the, the records that actually happened. The people of Capernaum became tour guides for the pilgrims from Europe that came, like we do, to walk in the footsteps of Yeshua. They said, there's money in this. Okay, and they, yeah, this is where I live. Peter, he lived there. His mom's house is over there. That stuff really happened here. So they authenticated the events when people would come and say, well, what did happen? What happened? Some of the places that we visit have really good reasons for us thinking it really happened there. Well, anyway, uh, the meaning of life. I want to start there. Yeshua moved out of eternity where he had always been, into time and space, here. And the word became flesh. What this picture is saying, it's a, see, a picture has more than one, one word, that Yeshua is the clearest revelation and the ultimate expression of God. He's all there is. He's all, it's all in him. It's all, that's why Paul kept saying, in him, in him, and John does too, in him, in him. He's not... One of the created things. Some of the cults say that. He was created. He was created. Uh-uh. He is not one of the created things. Rather, he did all of the creating. Some people can have a problem with that, huh? It's easy. Mm-hmm. Nothing came into existence without or apart from him. That's what John's saying. This is the big stuff. He is the source of all life. John said this. In him is, in him is life. The reason for being, the meaning of being, is in him. All things, and John's wording, the, the infinite detail of stuff, he created. When the world was not philosophy of religion, he was. But he was not... <laughs> I'll leave that one alone. Because I missed the other. Hang on. Well, that, that was uh, next week. I missed my, my punchline. I'll, I'll, do, I'll do it next week. You have to do that in, in the correct order. This whole thing on light, John presents several sub-themes. Light and darkness is one. He starts right here. And light leads to life, and darkness leads to death. Even at the Seder, remember, remember Judas left and went into darkness? Okay, that theme is all through John. Light and darkness. Light. He used the word light 21 times. Life, 50 times. Believe, 70 times. 70 times. He, the world. He came, he came into this world. That's the word, uh, the word cosmos in the Greek. 75 times John uses that. A temporary system of government, including the social, political, and spiritual stuff, ruled by Satan himself. When John uses the word world, you know, the world that he created, Satan has temporary control. Okay? This is a huge thing right here. Now, we face the influence. We can become under its influence. But Yeshua wins 
in the end. It wins. In fact, John will say in the book of First John, John, love not the world of things in the world. Don't love the world. But what is in John 3.16? What does that say? God so loved the world. That's the word. The same word. God so loved that horrible, corrupt, awful system that we're a part of. God so loved it that he gave us his son. That shows you how much he loves us. Because what do we get what we deserve? That's why John, in writing, says he's full of grace and truth. Truth would come from Moses and Torah. Okay, the scripture is truth. And, and judging that alone, guilty. But grace and forgiveness came through him. We deserve one because we can't do it right. But he offers forgiveness. It's the whole Passover theme. The whole Passover theme. He gave us his best. So, to sum up, just one thing today, and then we'll stop and pick it up next week. When I said it's the meaning of life, where does that come from? Well, the first 18 verses. He created all there is. He he is God in his fullness. Verse 18, no one has seen God at any time except the only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father. He has declared him. What we have here, and when the word became flesh and dwelt, you know that word? It's a Sukkot term. Uh, it's for a Sukkah. God dwelt. Yeshua came and dwelt temporarily with us. When God dwelt, that word, see people back then would pick up on that just like this. God began, as he revealed himself to his people, the Jewish people, where did he dwell? Outside the camp. And then he moved inside the camp, to the center of the camp. And then when Yeshua came, he dwelt among his people. But on Shavuot, he now dwells in his people. Do you see the progression? See the progression? So that's one thing John is bringing up in the Sukkot picture, that Sukkot picture. But all of it together, that that last line of verse 18, the only begotten, the unique, special, one-of-a-kind son who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. That word bosom is heart. What, this, what John is saying in that, lit, that poetry, that liturgy, that music that, that began every service of Messianics, he said, God declared to us his heart in Yeshua. That's my heart. On the cross, when we celebrate Passover, God is saying, that's my heart for you. That's how much I love you. Do you deserve that? No. But this is an expression of my heart. I gave you my very best. So Yeshua is an expression of the heart of God. All that he is. We're to be a reflection of him. And we're called to represent him as his ambassadors. We are to be able to communicate to other people the heart of God. How are we doing? How are we doing? As soon as we quit fighting, maybe we can start being nice. But that's God's heart. 
And what's that picture? I love you so much, I will die for you. I will freely lay down my life to get you back. That's how much I love. And throughout this first chapter, we, we see the disciples being called. They call, he, they're called, they follow. They're, they're, they're called, they follow. And they, and they uh, become a witness, and they point to Yeshua. Every single one, they point to Yeshua. Andrew. What did Andrew do? You know, Peter, you can give me all the stuff, stuff he did. What did Andrew do? He did stuff. He did the same thing over and over again. What was it? He, bring, yeah, he brings people to Yeshua. One after the other. He doesn't persuade them. He doesn't argue with them. He just says, I want you to meet somebody. Come with me. That's perfect. Bring people here so they can hear. Just bring them. You don't have all the answers. I don't either. Bring them. You can do what Andrew did. But all of them, as they believed, as they followed him, they pointed people to him. And it starts with John the Baptist and it goes through the Great Commission. Go into all the world. Make disciples of me. And you will be my witnesses. Be witnesses of me to the world. And how do we do it? We better communicate God's heart. Because that's what's going to speak to people. You saw, maybe some of you saw the TV program where some of the Muslims in, in Jerusalem uh, came to the Lord uh, through uh, witnessing I would never do it because it's wrong. You can't do that. It'll never work. You don't stop them on the street and, and read the New, the New Testament to them. That, well, it'll never work. But they did, some, some ignorant people did that. And they were reading the words of Yeshua. That shows you the power of the word. They heard the words of Yeshua and they said, stop, read that again. They read it and it was him saying, I love you. He said, love? He loves? I've never heard such a thing. So the love of him, his heart, through you will speak to people, tear down huge barriers. The heart of God is expressed in Yeshua. And that's the meaning of life that we connect with his heart and proclaim him. Because over and over again, John will say, in him is life. In him is light. In him is life. Our God and God of our fathers, I bless you and thank you and praise you for these awesome truths. May we walk in them. May we enjoy them. And we thank you for them. None of this we can do. We can't even think of it. But I thank you that this picture of your grace that so overpowers, that word simply means we, we have found favor. Nothing we've ever done, but you created us in your image. And we've fallen short. But you provided all that we need, and it's in him. Well, I pray that we would make those heart connections with you and represent our Messiah accurately and well. And proclaim the truth that's given to us through your word. And I pray your Holy Spirit would simply take control and change the hearts and, and the vision, the eyesight, the eyes that see, ears that hear, a heart that understands and receives. And openness will result to things we thought would be impossible. Lord, I pray now that I want everybody to think of someone in their life that's not saved. <clears throat> think of someone you'd like to, there would be a miracle if they ever, ever came to the Lord. Lord, Whoever these people are, I pray you would do that miracle. Bring people across their path into their life that will speak to them. Do a, something, an event, something that will so get their attention that they know you are talking to them and that this is their last chance. 
Open their eyes, open their hearts. May we get reports soon that prayers we thought were impossible are being answered. Lord, I thank you that as we look at John setting the stage for what Yeshua is about to do, we see the awesomeness of the creator of the universe actually loving us with all the love he has and laying down his life for us. Lord, I pray at this Passover we can see deeper into what that really means, that he is the lamb who takes away the sins of the world, that he is the lamb who takes away our sins. And may we represent him well. May we make disciples of him. May we be witnesses of him. May our heart be in alignment and in tune with your heart. And may we think and feel and say the same things. In Yeshua's name. Amen.